All right. So dramas are really good at crossing genre boundaries. And part of this Ted Lasso effect is that Ted Lasso is something for everyone. Comedy, drama, romance, sports, kindness. So what drama is your go-to for the comfort of, I love this drama because it has everything. On Young SAO, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, Amy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Megan and I did this last week. We're like, we don't know how to start without Leah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the intro, but now you're supposed to pick it up and be like, hi there. Hi there. There's Great. the Amy part. Yes. Yep. And then we're just missing Megan, but eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan is, uh, she's going to a writer's conference, right? Is that she her is. book signing? Uh, I think it's all of the yeah. above. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So she's at an author event ditching you, me, everyone for that. And and Korean content. Yeah. And Korean content. But, you know, we saw Well, she did her. bring with stickers. She did bring with our, our, I think, our stickers in case she met any K-drama oh, fans. And she was okay. going to pass out stickers. So there. All right. Well, then we'll be nice to her. So, and that is something we will be sharing soon as we did get some stickers made with our new logo. And we're very excited about it. it they're so cute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Very excited. And something else we've been excited about lately, Amy, has been music. We have been excited about music. I have slowly been transitioning to ARMY. And I think, you know, I think I deserve some some big ARMY props for getting up at, what time in the morning was it? Two in the morning to watch the... I think it was four Busan. in the morning for you. Was it six for you? No, it was two for me. I'm behind you. Oh, then it was four for me. That's right. Yeah. I See, I cannot time zone. I cannot time zone. Uh, so it was four in the morning, which is an even weirder time to get up because mm -hmm. two, I can almost like stay up until then. But yeah, yeah. four was weird um, to get, um, yeah, to watch the BTS Busan uh, concert. And I loved every second of it. And so we've been talking a lot about music back and forth. We have. And so, yeah, since I brought Amy over to, you know, some of the BTS dark side or good side, something that bts has been doing for me lately has been you know they've been doing a lot of collabs and when they do collabs sometimes i'm like well aware of who they're working with and know a lot about them and sometimes i don't and sometimes i think i do but it turns out i know nothing and that happened recently and amy thinks it's very funny i think objectively <laughs> it is very funny all right so my story is that i thought i knew about Coldplay. And I don't know about Coldplay. So I did not so, realize. <laughs> I was going to put it in context. This is this has to do with like with Jin's song, The Astronaut, that came out last week that we were all really excited about. And then even more exciting was that Coldplay, who wrote the song with Jin, invited Jin to their concert in Argentina in Buenos Aires to perform the song live for the very first time. So it was this huge deal. I was super excited. I was talking about it on social media all day. Leah sent me a clip of, you know, something I think from somebody who was at the concert or who somehow got a clip of somebody at the concert so we could see a little bit of gin. And then Leah told me 
what she had just learned that day about not Coldplay in particular, but the lead singer of Coldplay, Chris Martin. And and what was that, Leah? Well, okay, here, just for context is I'm well aware of Coldplay and I'm well aware of Chris Martin. However, I don't think I've ever taken the time to like really look at Chris Martin. <laughs> so, okay, I, I had a existential crisis when I realized that Chris Martin and I are almost the same age. He's two years older than me, but we would have been in high school together. Whereas, and look, I'm not like an age shamer or judger. It just, it wasn't what I expected. I thought that Chris Martin was more like Michael Stipe than R.E.M. And I thought Coldplay was kind of more of like the R.E.M. time period. And and when Michael said he's in his early 60s, correct? I, I yes, believe he's 62. Like okay. So I think I thought that, you know, Chris Martin was like late 50s. And so it's just like it wasn't what I was expecting. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, wait a second. I'm like fucking parachute and like yellow. He was like in his early 20s when he did that. I thought he was like just it never has sounded like youthful music to me. It's not that it sounds like old people music. It just feels Kind of like the Moody Blues or something. No, do not Moody Blues Coldplay. I mean, I'm not a Coldplay stan, but do not Moody Blues. Look, I like they have some really good songs. Look, I I like Moody Blues too. Hey, but Moody Blues is like my our parents' generation, though. Right, but I'm just saying, like their sound. Like, I don't think the Moody Blues ever sounded youthful either. Oh my God! Now Moody Blues once upon a time in your wildest dreams is playing in my head. And it's killing me because it sounds nothing like a Coldplay style song. That it, it gives me, because I like the Moody Blues fine. And I like the Moody Blues when I was younger too, but it just always felt kind of like this, like, not, I wouldn't say timeless, but just kind of like in this like very particular vein of sound. And that's what Coldplay felt like to me. And so I never thought it was like people roughly my age singing yellow ever. And so I went back and then I had to look at the music video and I'm like, holy shit, they're fucking fetuses. Whereas I just assumed always that they were just like, kind of like, you know, older 12 to 15 years older than me. (laughs) And so, no, they were peers. I, you know, could have been in like home ec with Chris Martin. And I just didn't realize that. So it was a, (laughs) and then Amy was like, I think you just don't realize you're old. And that could be it. I didn't say, no, I did not say you don't realize you're old. I said, I don't think you realize you're in your 40s. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe I don't. It's just, I really did. I really thought (laughs) Chris Martin. And then when I like looked at him, I'm like, no, he doesn't look, he looks exactly like the age he should be. A hundred percent. And I knew what he looked like, but like, you know, it wasn't like I'd ever sat, like studied him. I'd kind of like glossed over. Like if he was in something, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, like Chris Martin's there and I know who Chris Martin is, but I never like paid attention. So then when I did, I was like, oh, yeah, like you look like my age. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm telling, I'm like, he has kids that are like my kids' age. She's like, doesn't he have kids that are like well into their 20s? And I'm like, no, Apple's like He has old ass kids. <laughs> and Apple's 18. I'm going to have a 17 year old in, in a week. And that's wild to me too. So, I mean, even 18, I'm like, yeah, I mean, his kids are fucking old. They're 18. And I'm like, oh, my kid's like 14. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then okay. I keep sending her pictures of Chris Martin. I'm like, he's a 
good looking dude. Like he's a good looking forty something yeah, dude. He's good looking enough, and he's adopted Jin, so blessings to him. But Coldplay, I will say, I don't think they've ever sounded young. I think they're fine, but they were never like. I just it's wild to me that Parachute, that whole album. I mean, I remember when that came out in two thousand, and I had no idea that that was somebody two years older than me. Ever. Like, I've always thought they were just so much older than me. Anyway, so the more you I know. think, I mean, that happens. Like, it's it's kind of like, uh, what's it called? The mandala effect, you know, where you think something has been a certain way the whole time. Like, Fruit Loops, like, do you know that Fruit, well, you don't eat Fruit Loops, but Fruit Loops, they spell fruit, F-R-O-O-T, on the box, L-O-O-P-S. And it's, it's stuff like that where people think something, you know, looks a certain way or spelled a certain way. My daughter and I were watching um, some SNL, an SNL sketch last night from a recent episode. And it was a, a joke like Skechers PSA about like Skechers not partnering with Kanye anymore, even though they never did. Um, and they're like in Skechers, remember, it's not spelled with a T. And it's like one of those things like where you think well, the word sketch has a T, like you would spell Skechers with a T, and people think that Skechers is spelled with a T. Stuff like that. So you think Chris Martin's an old man, but he's not. And it just always well, felt I mean, that like, way. I have been talking about it recently. And look, again, like age gaps are age gaps. You know, I mean, I am lusting after men who are 13 years younger than me sometimes now. And that's like part of my journey. But I was like, oh, you know, okay. So he's like 60 and involved with, you know, because. <laughs> Gwyneth just turned 50. They Look, were married. Gwyneth was like 55. I didn't realize Gwyneth just turned 50. I didn't realize that they were like all generation. I don't know. They've just always Our generation. Me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, look. And again, like Gwyneth, like, obviously looks a lot better than do. The goop is working. So no, <laughs> like, no, ju- no judgment. It's just, I I think I am just realizing sometimes, like, I don't realize I'm 43. I think I'm, like, 32. <laughs> and that's okay. I hope I hope we all feel 32 when we're in our 40s. Yeah, I mean, my children yesterday told me that I looked more college than college students, and not in a compliment way, not like, oh, you're so youthful and cute. It was like, you're wearing Crocs in a sweatsuit. <laughs> on campus walking around and my son was like there's a lot of people with like cute fashion and you're more like just like the college real just like you know like up like rolled out of bed yeah to go to class and I'm like yeah they're on like cracks yeah I know and this new job that I've had for a little while doesn't do me that many favors because it's part of like res life so it's like the college system itself I'm not like having to like go into an office with like other grown-ups so I just like roll around and like you know it's like am I in my sleeping clothes like how Megan had her hard pants her good hair when like indoor pants I'm like I think all my clothes right now I could probably sleep in are all indoor pants (laughs) I think I just like get up and go and yeah oh goodness all right well segueing how are we gonna do it let's see well Okay, I got I it. To... I've got it. I've got okay, okay. it. I think. Okay, speaking of other things that Leah didn't know, we're going to talk about some television shows, some Western television shows that I have known for a long time are really, really good. Leah did not. 
Okay. Okay. Sound good? Yes. Okay. So we just did it. We segued. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. That was so seamless. Okay. So before we get into today's topic officially, let's start with this. In addition to watching all the all the Korean content we can, we do indulge in the occasional bit of Western entertainment. When lockdown started in 2020, especially before we found K-drama, because that's when we did, we were all watching a lot of Western content. There were some television shows, old and new, that I fell for, but one of the big ones was Schitt's Creek. And I said, Leah, you have to watch this. It's the most feel-good show to ever feel good. And it had like just wrapped its final season, so all six were ready and waiting. Leah's response was that she, <laughs> this is like, I mean, this is what she said to me. It's a quote. I will watch it if and only if you watch Fleabag on Amazon, because Fleabag is amazing. And I watched Fleabag immediately because <laughs> I needed a new show, and I loved it. But you did not <laughs> watch it screen for months and months and months. And then what, what made you finally decide to watch it? Because it wasn't me, obviously. I mean, I think I had told you. I think it was you. I think that we had made that deal. We and did then make I that didn't... deal, but it took you like months afterwards. Yeah, but I think I was like did. feeling guilty the whole time that I hadn't. And so eventually I was like, watch it. <laughs> I think that's what it was, honestly. Let's preface this with Leah does not trust my taste in television. At least at that point, she did not. Be, like, I think 100% because I liked the TV show Friends. We're going to get into and that so she later, thinks, but yes. So she thinks I like shit and only shit. <laughs> no, I mean, Friends is not shit for many people, including yourself. I just right. feel like maybe we have different tastes, even though we have... We like, do have different tastes. Uh, except we've liked almost everything the same. <laughs> so, we diverge in some places. But anyway, what did you think of Shit's Creek when you finally watched it? Okay, so Amy, I did love Shit's Creek. I loved how an unlikable group of overprivileged, out-of-touched multimillionaires were able to find community and connection in small-town Canada. Plus, it gave us some great bangers, like A Little Bit Alexa, <laughs> and it reintroduced the world to Tina Turner's The Best. So, I loved it. Absolutely. Fast forward a little bit to other shows I was binge-watching with my kids, one of them being The Office. I'd seen it, but they had not. And again... I was like, Leah, you would really like the show. You would like Parks and Rec, like basically anything created by Mike Schur, you would enjoy. But Leah was convinced that she didn't like Office anything. And we've talked about this on the pod. So like you were like a hard no on The Office. No, and people would even bring up it. Office Romance. And I was like, it just sounds like an anathema to me. Like I don't <laughs> even like you don't put those two words together. And like there's like it's like a dry desert for me. There's nothing juicy happening. So I watched The Office. I don't know how I started The Office. I really don't. I think I don't it was either. just like pandemic desperation. And Amy, you know what? The Office is probably my most favorite Western TV show. So <laughs> I did binge this along with Shit's Creek during the earlier part of the pandemic and developed a problematic, impossibly unholy sexual attraction to Dwight Schrute. And I cried over Pam and Jim. And look, I loved all of it with my whole being. It's a good show. My kids and I are rewatching it again right now. And it, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, I don't know how people could act around Michael Scott and not just want to crawl out of their skin. 
It's, you know, it was, I mean, it is really fun to watch outtakes because when Steve Carell loses it, it's some of the stuff that he has to try and say and do. It's, it's so much fun to watch that. Oh yeah. Outtakes would be really fun on that. So anyway, I really, really, really enjoyed that show as well. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> You're welcome. So finally, I myself was late to the game in hopping on the Apple Plus bandwagon and watching Ted Lasso. I caught it after season two had already concluded and I binged it hard. And for weeks, I couldn't shut up about how good the show made me feel, how it was a show for everyone who just needed to fill their emotional buckets with like a warm hug of goodness. And Leah hemmed and hawed, but said she would try it. And when she finally did, I had to scroll back into my phone to find this, but this is quoting word for word. When she finally watched it, after the first episode, I think this was, I received the following text. We started Ted Lasso. It's more charming than it has any right to be. That is a And quote. at that point, I had mentioned, like, how much I loved Roy Kent. And you're like, who's Roy? Like, you didn't know who the characters were or anything yet. And then yes. how quickly did you get through the two seasons? Uh, I think in two and a half days. <laughs> <laughs> Without exaggeration. And, and so... Like, I have to ask, like, do you trust my taste in television now? Or do you at least, like, trust that out of the things that I like, that I'm able to pull from that things I know you will like? Like, I want to say yes, Amy. <laughs> I really want to say yes. But I feel like the fact that you enjoyed Friends and, more importantly, Scrubs means that there's a part of me that is always going to have a little bit of a side eye. Because I don't know when you're going to put a Cafe Minim dog <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> But look, I mean, like, it's beyond this, too. Like, this is where, so you and I watched Heart of Dixie together. You and yeah. I watched Error together. You yeah. and I watched Jane the Virgin together. You and yeah. I watched Vampire Diaries together. Yeah. So this I don't know true. what it is. <laughs> I mean, you and I plotted shows for fun that were like for the CW. CW yes. Just for enjoyment's sake, like ourselves. Like, let's just do it because it's entertaining. So I don't know why. I don't know why. And I wish I could say with all honesty, I would always trust you. And I feel like there's still a block in my heart because of Scrubs. <laughs> and Scrubs, <laughs> but like Scrubs is not like a stand. And the funny thing is, is like you've, I think the funny thing is with Friends and Scrubs is that you've never watched really any of either. You just know you hate them. <laughs> like, and here's the other thing. I haven't watched Parks and Rec yet either. And I don't know why. So I probably will love that too. I just haven't yeah. been able to bring myself to watch it. Parks and Rec and go for like the good place. Cause it's all the same creator. Like, yeah. See, I've had no desire to watch Parks and Rec or the good place. And I'll probably just love both of them and watch them in like two days. And notice <laughs> I am not recommending to you the other Mike Schur show, which is Brooklyn nine, nine, which I absolutely love, but I don't think that you would dig that one as much. Okay. Okay. That's the Andy I do Sandler like, cop one. I do like I Andy's number. Oh, you do? Well, I think he's cute. Okay, if you like Andy Samberg, then I think you should give Brooklyn Nine-Nine a try because it's You went to this university that I work at, UCSC. He's alum. Or maybe not alum. He might have gone for a couple of years and left. Okay. Well, we're, anyway. we're, we we, we got to get this back on the train here. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, this, this is, this is about K-dramas, everybody. It is. But yes. it stems from basically what Leah has coined the Ted Lasso effect. Uh, so that's what this afternoon episode is called. And and don't worry. Like I said, it is about K-drama. We just have to establish the Ted Lasso effect first. 
So if you haven't watched the Apple TV Plus series yet, we're still waiting on season three. It's not even done yet. But don't worry. You don't have to know Ted Lasso to know why it's a beloved show. And we're not going to spoil big swaths no. of Ted Lasso either. So. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, you... Hopefully, if you've listened to us for a while, you know well enough by now that if any sort of spoiler for anything was going to come up, that we would warn you ahead of time. But we're for sure not going to spoil like a whole series that's still in the making that's Mm -hmm. awesome and everybody should watch. Yeah. And even in discussing parts of it, it's still not really spoilers. I mean, it's such a like slice of life drama that you're not going to really like. It's not like there's like big cliffies or anything. Right. But there, I mean, there are little things here and there, and we won't, we won't give them away. But let's start with sharing why we love the show and why we are drawn to this type of entertainment in general. So, yeah, I spent 2016 to early 2020s indulging in really uh, outstanding hobbies such as periodic garage crying, <laughs> doomsday prepping, researching local springs to keep my family alive in case we had to seek retreat in the woods and generally having my spirit sucked out of me by the news on a daily basis. And I don't mean that I think we should all be uninformed citizens. Like I think we should. And I also want to acknowledge that I know I'm sitting on a lot of privilege being an educated white cishet woman, but like in my daily job, I try to show up as an accomplice and help create opportunities and environments that let students dream and grow and believe that no matter where they came from, they can weave their past into, you know, a self-actualized future that honors their stories and offers new possibilities. But in doing that, like your own personal bucket can get pretty empty. And that's why when in 2020, I discovered Korean entertainment and um, the very cozy and joyful to me reaffirmation of tropes and quality commercial entertainment, I really found it healing. Like I just needed something that felt affirming and good. (laughs) And so look, it might sound on the nose when we're talking about Ted Lasso, but I just needed to believe. And it's (laughs) like, look, politics are a shitbox in this country and many countries at the moment. Social media is not much better. Like when I even hear Elon Musk's name now, I just make like a little retching face. But I instinctively want heroes, but like heroes who are just doing good work day in, day out because they're authentic and kind. And I want to see good people succeed. And I think I'm just going to leave it here because otherwise I'm going to start talking about BTS and their goodness instead of getting into the Ted Lasso effect. Yeah, I think, you know, what kept me from watching the show for a while was that I thought it was more sports related. I mean, it is about a football coach, who, like a, an American football coach who goes to England to coach soccer. You also didn't know that it was set in England either, which I think is really funny. Like there's, you like, and that makes it like even charming. Like the fact that we're in this locale that's not here um, kind of thing. But so I, you know, kind of put it off, put it off. And then I had people tell me, you know, it's not like about sports. Like, yes, it's about him coaching a soccer team, but it's not about sports. And not that I have anything against soccer. I'm just not, I don't gravitate towards things that seem sports related to begin with. And I watched the show with my kids and it was one of those things where, you know, an episode ended and they're like, just one more, just one more. And I'm like, yes, just one more. Like, like Mm -hmm. you, you know, watching it in two and a half days. And it was like really hard to articulate, like when I was done, how I felt about it, because it really is just this, like, it's a hug. (laughs) You know, I don't know how else to say it. Like, there's just so much 
affirming goodness and kindness and like that kindness wins. Well, sometimes it doesn't in the show, but like ultimately it does. Mm-hmm. And, and just being like authentic, real people and being like the most authentic version of yourself is eventually going to benefit you. And it was, you know, every single character in the show is a well-rounded character who has a backstory that's important, who has reasons why they are the way they are, and they all have journeys. And not everybody starts out as a quote-unquote hero, Mm -hmm. but everybody has, like, everybody in this, everybody in this show is the hero of their own story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, I think that's they, really good. And 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 you root for all of them, almost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you really do. Even the ones that yes, you end up, I know, not, I know. I'm like, I'm just, know. I'm, I'm just thinking of the end of season two, and I'm like, come yes. on. But anyway, totally yeah, it's just them. when you when you find yourself watching a show where you root for everybody, even the people who don't seem like heroes at first, and we'll we'll get into that. Um, I think that shows you that these are all really special people, even though they're fictional. And that's one of the things that I just absolutely loved about the show. And one of the things that I love about K-drama. Okay. So going along with this idea so far, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, out of the dramas that we've watched, I don't think other than happiness that we've seen a drama that mentions the pandemic, much like Ted Lasso leaves the bigger issues of the outside world out of the series. Like we have people dealing with their own personal issues. And I think that that is important too. And like Leah said, like, we're not advocating, you know, burying your head in the sand, but like, do you think after more than two years that we should be bringing the pandemic and its aftermath into entertainment? Like as a writer, I have not yet done this. And I don't know if, and when I will for now in my writer headspace and in my drama headspace, I want to escape. Like, what do you think like about the idea of escapism and of feel good entertainment? So honestly, I didn't even think about the pandemic watching it. So that's funny. I wasn't like, Hey, like where are the masks and mentions of lockdowns and surges? Like until you mentioned it, I didn't think of it. So I guess you are probably onto something. And I think for me, I'm falling into like a neutral territory where I don't need to have zero entertainment references to the pandemic. Like I thought it worked great and happiness, but yeah. I don't need every contemporary story to be like set in this exact world either. So I think if, you know, the pandemic serves the story, okay, I'm open to it. Yeah. I was just double checking. Like it aired, the first season aired in August of 2020. So we, I mean, I'm sure when they were filming it, it was pre pandemic, but mm-hmm. you know, once season two came around, we were definitely in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Yeah. There's no mention of it. And I, and like you said, like, it, I didn't think about it until I was coming up with questions for, for this tonight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it is part of, it is part of the world, right? And it worked well in happiness, but I do think that there are places where it doesn't need to be as well. Like, I don't think it has to be a part of every piece of entertainment, um, but I think it's okay if it fits the story. Mm-hmm. that's like my call. And I just like, I haven't found like in my writer, in my writer space, my writer head, I haven't found a story that I feel like I need to tell along with the pandemic mm-hmm. yet. So I haven't done it yet. And it's also hard because it just feels like it dates it so much too, because by the time that's a book is print, like 
you know, I think it's a really challenging thing to try to deal topically with some of those things, because by the time it gets to print, like everything's going to change. Like if you were writing about it in the pandemic and being like, okay, 20, you know, summer 2020 to now, you know, I mean, like it's a completely different ballgame and to write about like, you know, where we're at with COVID now and then think two years from now, who knows? Right. Any sort of real world events that you put in any story is going to absolutely date it. Okay. So let's talk about the warm hug that we found in Ted Lasso before connecting this to K-Drama. Here are CafeMom.com's 14 reasons why um, this is the show we need right now. And so these are 14 reasons why we think, like, Cafe Mom, like, whoever wrote that article thought that uh, Ted Lasso was really, like, something that was special. And as we're talking about it, kind of think about where this connects into dramas that you personally love to watch, um, Korean particularly, but, you know, anything. So, one, it can it combines all of our favorite uh, shows or genres. So there's comedy, there's drama, there's office politics, there's romance, there's sports, like you name it, Ted Lasso has it all. So we really see this like genre soup. And I think this is something that happens a lot in K-drama, right? Like they'll throw in like quite a few, you know, we'll have like small town romance with murdering. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew we loved it, you know? Yeah. K-drama knew. Yeah, K-drama knew. And so they're very good at making kind of like a soup of genres and adding in a bunch of different things. And it works. Um, It works really well. (laughs) So... Um, okay, number two, we hang the story on Ted, who is a truly likable character. 100%. Um, three, the characters all feel real. They are flawed. They might be good, but they're flawed. And we may not see their goodness immediately, right? Yeah. There's growth. A lot of them have growth. Mm. There's friendships. And the friendships are heartwarming. Like, these are not people that just kind of like, this is not G.A. from Tale of the Nine Tale, who, you know, raised herself from nine and is paying her taxes. Like, there's community here. Yes, there's absolute community. It's not just Ted's story. It's everybody's story. Um, Five, it's an example of us all trying our best. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, I do too. Um, six, it doesn't focus on what the world is focused on. So it's an escape. Like it's kind of existing, like there's real life and emotional stories, but it's not set kind of against the context of like this world, even though it's like a contemporary story. So it's not dealing with politics. It's not dealing with, you know, must buying Twitter, (laughs) you know, it's dealing with kind of like more universal human experiences, right? Um, okay, seven, Ted has internal, Ted has eternal optimism. And, you know, I think we would say that that optimism is contagious for, you know, I don't know if that's a word we use what I use right now, but yeah, it's like, I know, <laughs> but let, let, I want to catch some optimism. Like, I don't want to yeah. catch anything else, but I'd like to catch some optimism. Yeah, I would really like to catch optimism. Um, okay, eight. The show tackles mental health issues, um, which was a surprise for me. I didn't expect we were going to go there. And when we did, it was... Nor did I. Welcome. Nine, it proves that kindness is out there, which is part of this, like, life-affirming thing of just realizing that, 
you know, I don't think people are innately good or people are innately evil or anything like that. But, you know, it is nice sometimes to just believe that kindness is is out there. <laughs> and that people want to be kind. Mm. Um, 10, the dialogue is uplifting. Look, there are so many little nuggets of Yoda-like wisdom that Ted drops throughout this entire drama and all, all, all the characters, really, which is a testament, really, to just great writing. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Leah brought up the idea of believe before, and that's a huge, I mean, that that's early on. I mean, and, and like, I'll, you know, I'll post a picture <laughs> when we drop this episode, but like, that's I, my mouse pad at work at my new job. Like, that was one of the things I got myself as a, you know, congratulations on your new job gift is I bought a believe mouse pad. <laughs> and the thing is, it's like, okay, so you have a coach and he's like telling what his team to believe. And you're like, yeah, no shit. Like, what else is he supposed to say? But, like, somehow when you watch the show, you're like, no, no, it's like, but really believe. <laughs> it's not just yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, like, you have to, like, watch it and experience it to, like, kind of get it. Because otherwise it just sounds like, a, like, if you were just trying to tell this to me, Amy, I'd be like, uh-huh, like, you're not selling me on this. Like, that's what <laughs> literally their jobs are to do. Like, believe you can win. Okay. But I'm like, no, like, I mean, believe it in, like, your bones. And somehow that's, like, the message you get in it. Which leads me to point 11, which is it's comforting. So yeah, the, there was something that I read. Another thing that I read, like comforting in the fact that sometimes some of the things that happen on the show feel a little predictable, but like not in a bad way, like in this sort of comforting way, like, yes, this is what I wanted to happen, you know, kind of thing. Um, and it's not like, it's not like, you know, the team wins. Cause like, you know, he said, believe and the team wins, stuff like that. But there's just, I don't know, there's, there's a certain comfort. And, and I'll talk about that later when we talk about rewatching stuff, like there's a certain comfort of knowing what's coming because you know how it's going to make you feel in the end. Mm -hmm. um, number 12, and this is a good one, is that no one is the victim of a joke. So, you know, sometimes you're laughing, you know, there are times though that like, you know, you're kind of laughing at someone, but not in like a mean spirited way. Like you're almost laughing at the fact that like, you know, they're going to, it's almost like you're laughing at yourself when you see, cause you see like traits that we all, I think relate to reflected back to us too. And I think you can laugh at someone in entertainment when, but I think it, it's the difference of like when the character's in on it kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, if the character's in on it and you're la like, I mean, it, it sounds cheesy and like the thing my mom, you know, my parents used to say when I was younger, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. But like, if you are truly laughing with them and not at them, I think that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind agree. of think that's what's going on here. And 13, and this is what I cannot believe is it's somehow not sappy. <laughs> it's not at I all. There's, there's nothing cheesy about it at all um and 14 and this is where i think it really just found its foothold perfectly at its time in the pandemic which is it demonstrates the power of togetherness yeah i mean and not just the idea of a team because there is a literal you know football team like soccer team mm -hmm. but it's not just team it's this idea of togetherness in so many other ways too, in the way that well, it's the community come at the pubs, there's yeah. community between like different characters, like, you know, who are like some athletes, some not, you know, it just shows different relationships, but it's, it's just the power of what happens when people are in community with each other. And 
how we kind of just inherently need to have that. And so when you layer in all these things together, you just get something that feels like this warm hug where you don't feel like you don't feel like you ate a whole bag of Halloween candy and you feel sick after you feel just like, I truly want to be a better person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you mean. And I, I need to like, I feel bad, like we didn't do it early on, but like to give some props to, you know, actor Jason Sudeikis who created this character and he created it for, um, I, I believe it was like a Super Bowl commercial type thing, like the Ted Lasso character. And he kind of, like I read, I was reading, like he kind of just couldn't let the character go. Like there was something about the character that he needed to tell a bigger story. And so he wrote this show and he's not the sole writer. There are other writers with him, like Brett Goldstein, who is also one of the actors on the show and plays Roy Kent. Um, but the writers do an amazing job of, you know, they took this character as somebody who started as sort of like a caricature for a funny thing that Jason Sudeikis was doing and turned him into just the biggest, like, glowing heart of a mm. person. Like, I think of the glowing heart from um, I Am Not a Robot, and, like, that's, like, Ted Lasso to me. No. So, yeah, all of the things that I think we just talked about describe, like, what we found in falling in love with K-Drama 2 and the whole reason we created this podcast. So today we're looking at dramas that for us embody parts of the Ted Lasso effect. So while we are not nah, deep diving... Say sorry. Yeah. So while we are not deep diving any one specific drama, there could be little spoilers for dramas we mention if it's necessary to tie them into Ted Lasso, but we will give you a head start to pause and fast forward if any spoilers do pop up. So let's dive in. MovieWeb.com has this to say about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is a lesson in being a better human. To understand the premise of Ted Lasso, one needn't look any further than the show's opening sequence. Ted walking in an open stadium looking for a seat. The seats surrounding him are blue and marked with graffiti. That is, until he sits down and the surrounding environment subsequently changes. The seats once marked blue, sorry, the seats once blue and marked, now tidy in red, which is not dissimilar from how people respond to Ted in the show. The characters do not change because of their environment, but rather the environment changes because of the influences of one good person. Good is an understatement. Rather, Coach Lasso embodies kindness, decency, compassion, vulnerability, and forgiveness without an ounce of cynicism, which is a revolutionary concept in a world rife with discord, negativity, and pessimism. Ted wanted to show us there was good in the world at the exact moment we all needed it. Apple released the show in the latter half of 2020 when audiences were stuck at home looking for a new binge-worthy TV series. Not only did Ted Lasso fit the bill, but it also offered a heartening and hopeful tone, which many of us needed as the pandemic took its toll. The show's lead character offers empathy, humility, and affability even when faced with cruelty and abuse. His unwavering optimism could have been an annoying attribute, if not for Sudeikis's skillful portrayal. Sudeikis lends the character an endearing quality, making it impossible not to root for him. Even Ted's biggest critic in the show, and this is a reporter, Trent Krim, played by James Lance, eventually comes to respect and encourage him. 
So would hmm. you say that this is an act? I know. I love that reaction. Is this an accurate depiction of Ted Lasso? And based on this description, what is the first drama that comes to mind as embodying these ideals for you? Okay. So look, I'm hesitant to do this because I don't like flogging a horse and I feel like I'm riding and flogging this horse <laughs> a lot on this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, if you take out the murdering, I'm going to go with when the camellia blooms and mostly because of the lead, because I feel like young sick played by Kong Han Newell has a lot of Ted in him. We see a good man who honestly should be annoying, but it's so earnest that you realize that all their mannerisms and worldviews are just this deeply ingrained part of their character. And both have this sort of childlike wonder that's at work. Um, it's not infantilizing, but they're both able to see possibilities and hope where others might just see closed doors. And they recognize the good in others, especially the good in others that those folks might not see for themselves. Yeah, I 100% agree, which is why I wanted to toss this question to you, because I think that Kang Han Nul's portrayal of Young Sik is exactly that there's no cynicism he's always got that smile on his giant mouth <laughs> and i mean he, when he gets mad he gets mad i mean he does you know he he can you know he can show anger and the same thing with ted like ted can show negative emotions and does uh -huh. when when it calls for it but in his sort of wanting to lift everybody else up i think that's what it is he wants to lift everybody else up and he wants everybody to be the best version of themselves. And I think we see that in Camellia as well, as he just wants everybody that he comes across to be happy. Perfect embodiment of Ted Lasso. As mentioned earlier, Ted Lasso deals with mental health issues and according again to movieweb.com, does so in what they call a disarming way, which I really like. Basically, and I agree with this, the show is never preaching at the viewers, but instead inviting them into the characters' intimate experiences. Simply put, Ted Lasso breeds empathy between the viewer and the characters in the show. So what drama would you say does a good job at tackling some big issues and hopefully helps the viewer develop empathy for the character's experience? So I think that Mad for Each Other does a believable and respectful job of unpacking trauma and mental health challenges. So in Ted Lasso, we meet a character who's masking a lot, but has, you know, deep-seated pain and trauma, and eventually can't keep that pain down anymore, and we see it come out and have effects. Um, this also happens to characters in Mad for Each Other, in particular, Jung Woo's, uh character lead, No Hyo. We see him as less sympathetic at first, unlike Ted. So in Mad for Each Other, the writers um, prefer to show the lead broken first. Later, you learn how he got that way and the work he's been putting in to fix himself so that then you as a viewer can't help but root for him. In Ted, you first see a he or hero, hero, yeah. in Ted, you first see a hero who is seemingly whole just a quirky little mustached Yoda. And then later you see the cracks and that's how they invest you in rooting for his healing. So they're two kind of different tactics, but both work. Yeah. I think another, first of all, that's an awesome drama because I just love that pretty much the whole thread running through it is mental health. And that's a huge part of, I mean, there is an external story, but like, the mental health part of it, I think, is amazing and definitely helps to normalize 
the fact that people deal with mental health issues every day and not everybody is in therapy for it, but if you are, it's okay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, another, another drama that I think is really good at, um, sort of basing it around mental health issues is it's okay to not be okay. Now we don't have like a bright sunshiny Ted Lasso in this drama. No, we do not. We, no, no, not, not even close. I think we have like the antithesis, antithesis of Ted Lasso in this drama with Komun Young. Um, but both she and, you know, uh, you know, both Komun Young and Gong Tae, Moon Gong Tae, Moon Gong Tae, they're dealing with trauma. They're dealing with trauma from their past and dealing with it in very different ways. You know, hers is sometimes a very violent way and his is basically to keep everything bottled up inside. But we do see because of their relationship, not just with each other, but also with people in the mental health community, because we do have, you know, a doctor that, that, uh, Gong Tae does, you know, talk to at the hospital where he works that, you know, unlocking trauma can also unlock healing. And so I think, I I don't think that, you know, even though we are kind of going over the top with characterization, you know, with somebody like Moon Young, who's, you know, got a very deep, dark past and deals with it in a very deep, dark way. Um, I don't think it's glamorizing, you know, mental health issues for, you know, for sensationalism. Like, I don't think it's trying to make it a spectacle as much as it is trying to show that like everybody processes trauma in a different way and everybody heals from, from trauma in a different way. And I'm happy that we get this in K-drama, even if it's not bright and sparkly like Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. All right. So dramas are really good at crossing genre boundaries. And part of this Ted Lasso effect is that Ted Lasso is something for everyone. Comedy, drama, romance, sports, kindness. So what drama is your go-to for the comfort of, I love this drama because it has everything. So I think we realized this when we first, like we, we, we all started with Chloe with Crash Landing on You. And I think that's when I realized, oh, you can put everything in here. And it works if the writing is done well, right? Like, mm-hmm. and we're going to do a rewatch of it to see if we still feel that way about it. And I think we will. But th- this is going to make me sound like a weirdo, probably. But like when we talk about like a comfort drama and a drama that has everything, it's Goblin for me. Like it's sad. <laughs> yes. So very sad at times. But it's also got this Ted Lasso aspect of everybody just trying to do the best <laughs> they can. Okay, okay. In a very shitty situation, right? And while it may not be filled with the same eternal optimism, for me, despite (laughs) the sad love aspect the drama offers, I think some eternal hope. Should have done healer for this, so I could have said eternal love. But anyway, Michael learns to rock. We're still waiting for you to call us back. Um, (laughs) But also, it, it does have everything. Comedy, drama, mystery, a little bit of mild horror, an epic romance. Like, it is my, albeit odd, it's my little warm hug. Oh, little warm hugs. It is. So, for me, I mean, again, if you listen to me much on this podcast, you know, I think I'm just going to some old faves today. But my go-to drama for something that has everything is Reply 1988. I think it has all the things I love. Coming of age. Um mental health exploration and first loves and forever loves 
families, relationships between mothers and sons, fathers and daughters, friendships, multi-generational trauma and healing, and excellent kissing. It also does have like a little bit of a mystery aspect because you are wondering the whole drama. Yes, there is that mystery of, you know, who, who the future people are. Yeah. Yeah. Because we see like there's dual timelines and you don't, they're played by different characters. So you don't really know kind of like who ends up with who there's like mystery there. Yeah. I like it. Hmm. Yeah. It, I feel like if the writing is done well, you can throw everything into the soup. And it works. Yeah. And it's something that I think about too, sometimes with romance writing, because we are still, I think, <sighs> to the detriment in traditional publishing, sometimes reluctant to mix too many things together in our commercial yep. fiction. We're trying to keep things really segregated so that they fit well on bookshelves with very, very specific intent. And I think given the state sometime of traditional publishing, just struggling along, I think that I wonder sometimes like, why are we not just like doing much more of this like mashing Agree. Because I think people want it. And I think it's organic to storytelling. And it took, you know, getting into K-dramas for us to realize that we like that in a story, that you can throw a little bit of everything in there. At least for me, it did. I won't speak for you. Yeah. And so what I'll say by this is like, okay, let's talk about something like When the Chameleon Blooms, which is a small town romance that also has a murder story. So if I was to pitch the story, and I mean, I'm not trying to be like a negative Nancy here, but you know, this is my vibe. If I was to pitch a story like that to like a New York publishing house, they're going to be like, well, you know, where are we going to put this? Is it a small town romance or is it like a thriller? And right. it's like, well, both. And then it's like, bzz, bzz, bzz. <laughs> doesn't compute. And I feel like we need to be, I think it just, <sighs> but I think that it's happening more in um, indie publishing. People are taking, um, able to have more flexibility and risks there too. But um, I just, I wish that we would see traditional publishing being able to gender mash more and make that soup. I think it would be making more exciting stories sometimes. Yeah, I, I feel like I've never, well, I'm not going to say I've never conceived of a story like this because you and I have conceived of a story like this with a lot of mashups. We just haven't tried to publish it. Um, but it would be fun to write. Like it would definitely be fun to write something, especially, you know, every genre has its own sort of formula. And I'm not saying that all writing is super formulaic, but there are certain things that have to exist in a thriller. There are certain things that have to exist in a romance. You know, there are certain things that have to exist in different, you know, in different genres. And it would be fun if you could take a little leeway with that, especially, you're like, all right, romance has to have a happily ever after. We know that. And it's, you know, making the journey interesting to that happily ever after. Well, imagine if you could throw in, <laughs> you know, the thriller aspect of it. Like more so than just like romantic suspense is kind of that. But I think mm -hmm. we're getting, when we're talking about, you know, what, when the Camellia Blooms does, it's not a romantic suspense story. It is a small town romance. And it is also a murder, like a serial killer story. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't think, I don't think that I would classify it like I would classify romantic suspense the way that it's done in this drama. And I think it would be fun to be able to do more like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now it's time for our favorite segment. It's our K-pop wreck of the week. And Leah, what do you have for us today? 
Well, you and I are both going to a concert next week, right? In different places. I'm going tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Okay. You're going tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going on Monday. And who are we seeing? We are seeing Charlie Puth. Which I'm very excited about. And Charlie Puth As had I. a song of the summer, kind of, which was left and right. And it featured Jungkook of BTS. And, uh, you know, it's this very catchy, upbeat song that kind of is talking about, like, a past relationship and how uh, the singer's consumed of those thoughts. And, uh, you know, the music video is really fun and is kind of set around a therapist's office where, like, uh, Charlie Puth is trying to get treatment for his lovesickness over his memories of uh, Jungkook. So it's really cute and fun. Uh, a nice little summer bop. And, and go ahead. <laughs> that's mis- no, and we're both hoping, maybe, possibly, that Jungkook's popping around to Charlie's concert and is gonna surprise one or both of us by popping on stage for left and right. Yeah, probably not. But you know what? We like to just pretend things sometimes, and it feels good. So and don't... we can manifest. You know, you never know. Yes, that's we right. believe it'll happen. It might believe Ted Lasso. Believe. believe, believe. That's a good segue. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so left and right. Charlie Puth featuring Jungkook of BTS. So Leah, speaking of recommendations, you have been trying to get me to read. Catherine Arden's Winter Night Trilogy for a while, correct? Years. <laughs> it has been years. <laughs> it really has been. So here's here's a place where I, you know, I'm not saying I'm getting Leah back because it's like my loss. But anyway, it's a series that involves a mortal falling in love with a frost demon. And for reasons, this cannot happen. And it's basically a doomed love, a sad love, much like my favorite comfort drama, Goblin. Well, as you know, my favorite way to read is with my ears, with audiobooks. And I read on my way to work every day with my Audible subscription. And I finally bit the bullet when my new Audible credit popped up last month and read book one. And now I'm a third of the way. I'd say probably more like half of the way through book two. I love this series. Their narration is fantastic because audiobooks are a performance. They're not just narrated. And I get to do one of my favorite things, which is read on my commute with Audible. Want to know other great times I use my Audible subscription? When I'm making dinner for the kids, or folding laundry, or going for a walk. And guess what? You, our afternoonas, can try a free month of Audible thanks to your unease. All you have to do is go to www.audibletrial.com slash afternoona. That's www.aud. I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A. You can get a free audiobook and let us know what you think about Audible. And don't wait years to listen to it. No, this is a great <laughs> series. So yeah, if you want to read exactly what I'm reading right now, like if you if you are a Goblin fan, this is such a, a great comp for sort of that sort of situation. And it does not take place in Seoul. It takes place in fictional Russia. Russia. Yeah. yeah. Fictional medieval Russia with a lot of yeah. like magical realism. Yeah, it's super fantastic. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank. 
at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, glow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So we've talked a lot about kindness, humanity, and empathy in Ted Lasso, but we haven't yet tackled two really important aspects of the show, the comedy and the romance. So let's talk romance. Ted Lasso has a grumpy romantic hero in Roy Kent. He's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. An alpha hole who has some growth. Hello, Jamie Tart. And a fantastic new to romance that I won't spoil because it's a big surprise. Pick one of these and give it K drama comp. So, look, I thought about this and I always go back and forth on this wreck, but I just decided, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> a great new to romance is something in the rain with Son Ye Jin and Jung Hai In. And look, Is this a perfect drama? No, it is not. But for 11 episodes, I felt so many feelings that I still can conjure up and imagine. And their chemistry is so good. Their conflicts are so good. It feels like a Nuna romance. Like it does feel like there's an age difference at play and you still can see how it works and you root for them so hard. There is some type of an HEA so it's not like a I'm not recommending a downer it's just that the plot does start to lose its way for a few episodes which is a bummer because it's so good but look ultimately I think even though it will many people will find aspects of this drama infuriating this is an excellent Nuna romance something even you found it infuriating oh like so (laughs) maddening I would have made some different choices as writers, uh, writer, but ultimately I just think like there is a great romance there. It just shits the bed for like a while in the back half before like kind of coming back together. I'm but I think sold, like but... <laughs> uh, the, chem- it's just, the chemistry, it's I think a 16 episode drama. The first 11 episodes are like, I mean, it would have been in my top three. And then wow. there's like four episodes that I just feel like I was like, ugh, like really just not into. And then it kind of comes back together. So it's not like, you know, you're on a slog. It's just that it was so good right. that you get mad. But um, but the romance is just so good. Like the tension is so good. There's a lot of like symbolism with umbrellas. Like they have red umbrellas at the beginning, which is kind of like the relationship's like a stop. Then like green when it's go and yellow when they're in caution. Like there's just a lot of like fun little things oh, that happen. Cute. And I like that. 
um, Jung Hyun is just freaking adorable and wonderful. He's wonderful the whole time. Always wonderful. There's just um, like a villainous character who just gets too much time and it kind of blows up the drama for a little while. Um, but he, it's not like he like gets like jerky or anything like that. He stays amazing and magical like the whole time. I like amazing and magical. Oh my God. He's like, um, ugh, so good. So good. Great kissing. Great hookup scenes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go with the grump sunshine trope here. And look, if you know Ted Lasso, then you know K-drama doesn't have like a direct character comp for Rory Kent. Like a man <laughs> whose every other word is a growly fuck. But at least... <sighs> I'll say at least not the ones that I've watched so far, but find me one and I'm here for it. But I think Healer is kind of a great toned down version of this. You have the closed off grumpyish hero in Healer or Jung Hu hmm. and the optimistic ray of sunshine in Young Shin. And, you know, much like Roy Kent, it takes a lot to peel back the layers of Jung Hu and to get to his, you know, gooey center. And, you know, that's the tiniest spoiler that I'll give for you is that Roy Kent does have the ooeyest, gooeyest, mushiest center surrounded by that fuck, <laughs> which I love. Okay, sorry. So, you know, when I was going through my earlier list, mentioned that while Ted Lasso is funny, no character is the real like, mean-spirited butt of the joke. We're never laughing at anyone's expense. And what's a K-drama that does this kind of comedy well? So I was thinking about this because I do think like, you know, I'm going back to my idea of laughing with a character rather than like laughing at. And so look, there's some like highly comedic moments in I'm Not a Robot with some very unfortunate things that happen to characters. But these very unfortunate things, and it's, I mean, it's bathroom humor. I love bathroom humor. Okay. <laughs> but you like, do. I do. But, but like the bathroom humor that happens in I'm Not a Robot you're laughing with the character. It's not other people who are like making them the butt of a joke. You know what I mean? Like when, like, just to, just to give you an idea, this is, I mean, a tiny little spoiler of a scene, but like in, I am not a robot. We have a human woman pretending to be a robot for reasons. And while she's in quote unquote robot mode, she's also experiencing the effects of food poisoning as is most of her team that she's working with. And she is in the hero's house and has to relieve herself. Um, and you're, it's an, it's like an empathetic funny, you know what I mean? Because like, I don't care who you are. Like, you don't have to have like shit your pants in your life, but everybody has been in a situation where you're like, oh my God, this could be the worst moment of my life. And what am I going to do? You know, kind of thing if I don't get to a toilet. And I think it was an empathetic, like funny type of thing. Again, like I said, I like bathroom humor, but it wasn't the bathroom humor per se, but the way that she like kind of, you know, pawns it off on whatever, you know, to make herself still look like a robot after she comes out of the bathroom. And so it wasn't like she was the butt of anybody else's joke. Nobody was kind of pointing the finger at her. It was just being a part of her experience that I found endearingly funny and and I think mm -hmm. that kind of fits under this under this uh, umbrella. Yeah, Speaking totally. of umbrellas, it's a good drama with umbrellas too. It is a good drama <laughs> with umbrellas. Lots of good drama umbrellas. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Chloe for this one. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's uh, 
I feel like those North Korean ducklings, like the soldiers, I mean, so like, good. you know, we're laughing with and sometimes at them, but not in like a mean, like, ha, like got you way. It's more like, you know, sometimes just like shaking our heads at their different and very dynamic personalities. And um, yeah, I feel like the ducklings in Chloe kind of fit the like quirky cast of characters that are in Ted. Absolutely. Love it. So Ted Lasso is one of those shows that I find infinitely rewatchable. It's one I go back to much like Schitt's Creek when I just need to feel like all is right with the world, even if that world only exists on the screen. I know we don't really have time to watch and rewatch like we'd want to, but what drama gives you the same feeling that you would watch over and over again just to be reassured that all is well? Hospital playlist, of course. (laughs) That's such a good one. And I thought about that one, but I'm like, I would not, I can't put that one because Leah would totally put that one. (laughs) I just, you know, Megan and her surgery complaining aside, like that drama probably also feels like it really like leans in on that Ted Lasso effect of it's just a show about good people trying their best (laughs) and being good. It really is. And yet it's completely compelling. Like there's conflict and stuff like that. But like, really, you're just like, these are good people just trying all the time. And there's very, I mean, I can think of hardly any like villain villains that are even in hospital playlists. It is 100% just slice of life. But the conflict is like them against themselves or against self-doubt or maybe against a disease. But like it, it never feels really cheesy. It just feels like these people you want to just hang out with and be part of their crew. I really do. I want to watch, uh, I want to watch the two doctors eat competitively. (laughs) Eat competitively and, you know, go play music together and go have like their coffee breaks. And, you know, I just want to be in that world with them. Just like I do with Ted hanging out like the diamond dogs. (laughs) I, oh my gosh, I want to be part of the Diamond Dogs so much. <laughs> um, and for me, it would be Itawan Class. And that is one that we both just recently watched. Yeah, this I mean, summer. semi-recently. Like, yeah, over the summer. And it was one of those, like, you finished it and you're like, I want to be a better person because of Pac Sarawi. Yeah, it's true. I'm like, it's true. What? I'm like, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, because all, I mean, going back to our, you know, Itawan Class pod, Megan didn't love this drama and that's fine. She's entitled to that, even if we think she's wrong, but (laughs) you know, like that's all we knew of the drama. And so Leah hopped in because she had a friend who absolutely loved it. and was like, you must watch this. And she did. And then she's like, Amy, you just like, tell me I'm, you have to watch this just to like, let me know if I'm like crazy. Tell me Megan's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it was one of those things where I just was, so filled with emotion and so in love with every, you know, every, every character who was on, you know, Pac Serwi's team was a hero. You know what I mean? So I was like on every hero's, every hero's side, wanted them to succeed. And yeah, at the end, I was like, I just, I want to, I want to be like him when I grow up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who can just make people around them look to be their best selves. Yep. You know, we're just, we're in such a dearth of leaders that when you see one, even if they're fictional, you're like, yes, <laughs> please teach me your ways. <laughs> <sighs> so look, we're not like usually here to foist our Western media tastes on listeners, but I think we can both agree that Ted Lasso definitely has something for everyone. 
And if you had to sell Ted Lasso with just a quote from the show, what would it be? Right. This one, he's real folksy sometimes. And there's a quote that he says that taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse, isn't it? If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. And I think that that is really true. That's something that I think I continue to like focus on in my life that I talk about with my husband, that I talk about with my kids, that I talk about with students I work with, that I talk about with fellow writers is that when you're feeling uncomfortable, when you're trying something, that discomfort is part of the experience of growth and being in that stretch zone. Like you don't want to be in a stretch zone to where you're going to break in half, but you want to be in that stretch zone where you're going to have to reach and then you're going to grow. And so that just hits me in that. And I really feel like that is just like such a deep truth and it sucks to feel uncomfortable and it sucks to feel like you don't know what you're doing, but you know, what's the other, there's some other thing that's like, you got to suck to suck at something to be good at something. And yeah. so I feel like uh, I really just try again and again to remind myself of that. Like, you know, I'll try to play piano and be like, God, I suck. I'm like, yeah, good. I'm learning or try I'm trying again. to write right, right now. Oh, I'm sucking at this. That's okay. Like, you know, keep going. You're going to like get better and figure it out. Yeah. There's a, there's a book on writing craft by Anne Lamott called bird by bird. And in it, she says, you have to write the shitty first draft. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if, if it's, if you think it's perfect, like when it's coming out of you, then you're not doing it right because everything can be improved. Everything can get better. Um, and I used to talk about that when I was a teacher and I would, you know, and I taught writing. Um, and when students would turn in their work without even like reading it and revising it, I'm like, there's no way the first thing that came out of you was the most perfect thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, you know, be uncomfortable yeah. a little bit. I like that. And I think there's just a hard time that people like will know that, but it just, when you feel like, oh, I'm not, I just am feeling like out of my comfort zone that you're like, you're, it's really tempting to just take that step back instead of taking that step forward. Yep. But you're right. It's a hundred percent growth. And I love that. So for me, I chose a quote kind of having to do with it's in the context of romance, but I don't think you always have to take it in this context, but it hit me like that because I am, you know, a single woman in her forties looking for love. Um, so this is, uh, this is a quote by Roy Kent and I'm not even going to put it in context because I think the quote speaks for itself. Tell the truth. He's fine. That's it. Nothing wrong with that. Most people are fine, but it's not about him. It's about why the fuck you think he deserves you. You deserve someone who makes you feel like you've been struck by fucking lightning. Don't you dare settle for fine. I know. It's so good. I mean, it's a powerful scene in the drama. Oh, so, so good. And it sounds so much better coming out of Brett Goldstein's mouth than mine, but I'm not going <laughs> to no, no, do you did a great impression. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, shivers. just so many good nuggets. Of wisdom. And I think we get, you know, we, we get that, we get that feeling from K-dramas. And that's why I think that, uh, you know, weirdly enough that Ted Lasso is a good comp for the way that K-dramas make us feel. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, don't let anyone ever act like, you know, your pleasure in watching K-drama is something trite or, you know, small-minded because really we're talking about like universal experiences and feelings and often just like that yearning for goodness. And there's nothing, I mean, like, why does that not get to, it's always, you know, the way, but like, why don't, why doesn't that ever just feel like the thing that we can focus on rather than 
um, you know, all the garbage. I feel like, you know, and I, again, I'm not trying to say stick your head in the sand. I'm not trying to say don't pay attention to things. But everyone is, I think, better off by taking a little bit of time sometimes to focus on what goodness is possible out there. Fill your emotional bucket. Yeah. You know, even if it is with fiction, because fiction is a reflection of reality. And, you know, I, the people who who write these dramas or write, you know, these shows like Ted Lasso, they're not pulling these ideas out of thin air. It's, you know, maybe it's ideals. Maybe it's, you mm -hmm. know, we want to see this in people. We want to believe this is out there. And I think if people are writing it, then they're hoping it's out there too. And that just, I mean, I think that connects us as well to know that the people who are creating the entertainment that we consume kind of want the same things that we do. You know, I think I know how I want to close it out. So there is a movie Shadowlands with uh, Anthony Hopkins that I really like. And in it, he had a quote that has always stayed in my head. And I don't think it's like his, the quote from the movie probably, but it's, we, we read to know we're not alone. And in this case, like, you know, we also watch K-drama to know we're not alone. It's community and we find it where we find it. Yeah. And we are allowed to want lightning for ourselves and we are allowed to want goodness in others. And to be better people. I think that's a great way to close it out. So that is the Ted Lasso effect, everyone. And we'd love to hear your ideas of dramas that have this effect on you. Because we know we didn't touch on everything. We just touched on, you know, those that that felt like a warm hug to us. That's right. All right. So thank well, you for listening. Yeah. Annyeong. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs. And if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!